The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Well, happy New Year, you filthy animals! It's the Rebels back in studio. <laughs> hey, it's, I know it's Merry Christmas, you filthy animals, but yeah. like we missed the opportunity to use that, so I brought it back. Nice, and yep. I'm using it for now. So, as always, you got Pooty, Peanut, and Garage Mahal, our hideout, our home away from home, as they say. As they say, yeah. I don't know who they are, but they say it. We hope you all had a very Merry Christmas, and. Uh, a happy New Year, I guess. I to, said just to cover year. all the cliches. Um, are we allowed to say Christmas on this podcast? Of course yes, we, we are. are. Yes, we yes, are. Yes, we are. We love Christmas here. Um, so we are the Rebel Podcast uh, and part of the Rebel Alliance Media. Uh, there are a couple podcasts that come as part of uh, the Rebel Alliance umbrella, and that is uh, the. Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids that comes out on Mondays with the Van Brimmer family. It's a podcast uh, by family for your family. And so listen to that one with your kids as they walk through some of the Fathers of the Faith and some of uh, some church history and teach it uh, with to their kids so that uh, you and your family can enjoy that. Uh, there's the Awakening Reformation podcast that comes out on Tuesdays. Um, and of course, the Rebel podcast that comes out on Wednesdays. And uh, you can find, you can subscribe to all three of them, Rebel Alliance Media on iTunes or whatever uh, podcast app you might be enjoying. Uh, but we're back after actually quite a bit of a break. Uh, we did, you know, full disclosure, we did record a lot of the Advent series prior to. So we kind of loaded those up so that we didn't have to do a whole lot of recording in December. Um, and we talked through some of the Christmas carols and uh, we got some good feedback. Some people, people like Christmas carols. What can I say? People people do like Christmas carols, and I think they like the fact that our episodes were shorter. <laughs> <laughs> I did hear that from some people. I will ignore it because right. we're going back to it. And we I gotta... similarly dismissed that that suggestion of keeping the, the length, but hey, no, I'm just kidding. We, uh, we actually have a guest today that we want to spend a lot of time with, so uh, we're just going to totally ignore all the praise we got for short episodes, <laughs> and we're going to launch right back into a long one. Um, but yeah, we're happy to be back. We're happy to be recording. And uh, we do have a special guest on the program today, and we want to uh, give him lots of time. So we just want to jump into one kind of rebel news item yeah. uh, that we think actually kind of leads into the conversation that we're going to have with our guest uh, pretty well. So um, this is kind of local news, but there's a lot that can be drawn from it. So um, Maple Leaf Foods, which is a big... Uh, food company here in Canada, uh, they announced this new massive new processing plant that's going to be uh, located in southeast London. So uh, Rebels are uh, are located right out of London, Ontario. For all of you, um, you know, Americans who just think of Canada as northern Wisconsin. No, is it? Uh, sorry, northern Idaho? Northern? What, what was it that Rent, Gabe Wrench said when he was on here? 
think it was I think it was northern Montana. Yeah, there you go. But See, I, I was just about to make fun of all the Americans for not knowing Canadian geography, <laughs> and here I am not knowing American geography. I know American geography. Uh, I just yeah, can't remember what they used. So there you go. Um, and uh, so uh, London is just a couple hours uh, west of Toronto. And uh, there's this new massive processing plant going in by Maple Leaf Foods. So what's interesting is that they announced this big processing plant and the jobs it's going to mean for the community and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and so what we saw on the CT- CTV news um, was a, a, a news bit that just, I mean, it kind of turned our stomachs a little bit. Um, and that was the um, the protesters who came out to protest this new processing plant. Um, so we're going to actually play that for you, and then we want to talk about it a little bit. So here's the, uh, here's the quick clip from the CTV News um, about uh, the new processing plant coming out in southeast London. Just days after news that Maple Leaf Foods will bring a massive consolidated chicken processing plant to London, animal rights advocates have launched a petition hoping to put a stop to construction. CTV's Adrian South has more tonight on the push to end what they're calling violence and animal suffering. When the news kind of hit the community, obviously like the vegan and the activist community was very um, upset and kind of shocked and and dismayed by the news that so many individuals were going to be killed. As a new poultry processing plant was announced in London, animal rights activists like Abby McQuaig and members of London Chicken Save acted quickly, posting an online petition against the facility. It's, It's really not a positive thing to open a facility that promotes more violence in our communities. Um, and perpetuates further discrimination against non-human animals. But the company says it's taking measures to ensure animal welfare. We are investing in advanced animal welfare technologies and processing including temperature controlled housing and humane processing. We are also significantly reducing transportation time by locating here in London in direct proximity to the chicken farmers that are concentrated in this area. The group says it's not enough. There is no humane way to kill someone who doesn't want to die. We shouldn't be looking for a better, quote unquote, better way to do something that we know is ethically and morally wrong. They want to see what they're calling real solutions, including changes to policies to meet everyone's needs. As long as the animals are property, as commodities to serve their interests, their welfare is never going to come first. The group says there will be a series of rallies, protests and vigils going on leading up to the construction of the facility. Optimistic that they can make a difference. I'm optimistic that they're not going to take part in it, that this will not go through, that we will have a raised awareness in our community and we will mobilize to change the social norm around violence. A link to the petition is available on our website. Adrian South, CTV News. Okay, so there's so many things about that clip that I hate. <laughs> the first, I mean, the first thing is they're, they're referring to animals as individuals, right? And you heard the one guy who talked uh, who talked about uh, the chickens in this case that are getting killed as um, non-human animals, right? Which is it's all laced with the the uh, evolutionary worldview, the the faulty worldview. But here's what I the 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 place I wanted to zero in on is. You know, when the girl said that there's no humane way to kill someone who doesn't want to be killed. <laughs> now, like, let's let's forget we're talking about animals here. Right. And um, and and from the evolutionary worldview, it is quite interesting. I, you wonder whether or not the whole world, because of its evolutionary 
foundation is going to actually move towards this sort of thing, right? I know a lot of atheists who love meat, <laughs> but to be consistent in their worldview, right? Um, you wonder whether or not it's going to trickle back to not wanting to eat animals because it all, we, we all share ancestry or whatever. But that's not where I want to take the conversation. Where I want to take this conversation is how do they get this passionate about not killing animals and yet in Canada, we have no abortion laws. Like, how can she make the statement, you know, it's, there's no humane way to kill someone who doesn't want to be killed. How can she say that statement and not have abortion come to her mind? Yeah, it's like cognitive dissonance. Oh, sorry. That's <laughs> literally what I was going to say. Um, no, it's, it, that's exactly the phrase that comes to mind. Now, we've talked about it a lot on the podcast, but it's there's an incompati- incompatibility between beliefs in one way and beliefs in another way that our society is like bred over time where we can look at something and be like, it's animals have a right to live because they've been born and they're outside the, the animal womb or out of the egg. But like eggs, we're totally fine eating, eating eggs, which is, would be like, like play it out. Well, what is an egg? Egg is the right. Unborn (laughs) embryo. Exactly. But you have no problems doing that. The same, same token talks about the, like nobody, everybody, everybody, single person, every, um, uh, pro pro choice advocate would say murdering a one year old baby is terrible. Like it's a horrible thing, but six weeks, they can't, exactly. They can't, they can't go back and think it. Well, it's the same thing when the baby's kicking in the stomach. You know what I mean? They don't, they can't grasp this, 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 difference this incompatibility of their worldviews and it blows my mind yeah it's it's just so incompatible and and i mean it it just it makes me think of romans one right we live in a romans one world where uh we hate the image of god because we are rebels and we hate god and so culture uh the the pagans they they hate god they hate his image and so they will they will more passionately defend an animal's right to live than a person's right to live because they hate the image of god that a person bears and 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 i mean this is uh, you know i i have non-christian friends who who get way more irate about animal cruelty than they do about child abuse, right? Way more irate about, you know, these sorts of things, about the inhumane killing of chickens or the testing of shampoos on animals than they will about abortion and about, you know, uh, child poverty and like all kinds of things that actually affect real lives. And so it's just it like the incompatibility of the worldview here is ridiculous. And and it, Romans one, I mean these these people are worshiping, right? And this is we're we're made as image bearers of God. We worship, and and these people are directing their worship towards animals and the created world, just as Romans one says that it will, and have no thought to justice when it comes to the unborn. And it's just it's 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 ridiculous. I oh I can't believe it. It, it is ridiculous. It's also it's. It's just it's just the indictment of our culture where we like the, so many people either have to be the victim or they have to find a campaign to like attack right. like social justice warriors. They have no choice but to be either a victim themselves or they have to find something that's a problem. And instead of solving the problem, they have to attack it. Right. And so they find th- something like this, this chicken processing plan and be animals lives. Well, as you said, they don't they don't really want to reflect on the fact that they're suppressing the knowledge of God and that they're created in the image. So they're going to, they're going to go and find another thing that they can fight at. In this case, it's animal cruelty and these things like, it's just, I don't even know where I'm going with that, but basically just this idea that nobody can just sit and just 
recognize these patterns in their lives because they're either a victim themselves or they have right. to fight out and fight a fight a problem. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, yeah. Or they project victimhood onto animals, <laughs> right? <laughs> or, or honestly, even like the attack on inanimate objects, like monuments that they're tearing down that represent people who did things in the past that they hated and made victims of of others. And yeah, it's 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 a ridiculous system, and the the incompatibility of of these differing views is kind of what we want to highlight. Our uh, our sound guy Dave actually suggests that we go out to some of the protesters and and try to do like a rebels on the streets and ask them questions and try to expose. So I don't know if we can figure that out, but if we can figure that out then uh we'll try to get that uh, that to you as well that would, how fun would that be Let, let's do that that would be so fun i think it'd be fun just to bring kfc <laughs> <laughs> so like i'll interview them while you're just eating kfc just, in the background if we chicken. can get like fried chicken in every <laughs> in every still shot that would be the the goal so that there's always you know massacred chicken <laughs> in the shot well it, it's 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 funny because i bet you when we go out most of the protesters will be wearing like some sort of leather, some sort of like animal made, like clothing. Well, there's hardcore like ones that you know. I'm sure, I'm sure, try I'm sure to be they consistent, will be. But I'm yeah, sure they will you're be. right. There's going to be those ones with the leather belt. There's going to be those. Yeah, yeah. totally. And that, and this wearing is wearing Nikes. <laughs> exactly. Where I'm just like, do you have any idea how many kids? Or like, especially if you're wearing like some of the name brands and I don't want to get in trouble on the rebels, uh, but like how many of them are made in like terrible working conditions for the thing? Like just be consistent. You know what I mean? So right. it's like if you're, if you're campaigning for the right of animals lives, well, you should be campaigning for the right of human lives too. Where are you serving at the ark? You're not serving at men's right. missions or yeah. anything like that. It's just, it blows my mind. Yeah. It I know. frustrates me. It, 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 it reminds me of that whole, and we'll talk, maybe we'll talk about this on another podcast, but that whole, like it, baby, it's cold outside controversy and everybody's so up in arms about the song and nobody's actually caring for the people who are cold outside. <laughs> like, nobody are actually, like no, none of the Christians who are all upset about this song are actually doing anything for the homeless people outside on the streets, like cold at night because baby, it's cold out there. Oh man, inconsistency in worldviews. But um, we want to get to our guest and our guest is um, Marcus Pittman. Um, that name should be familiar for a lot of our listeners because uh, we've done some crossover things with CrossPolitik and uh, Marcus Pittman is now uh, the host of a podcast called Law and Profits on the CrossPolitik Network. Um, and, uh, and just some of our friends are, are mutual, um, and, uh, some of the people that we really like have worked with alongside, uh, Marcus. He was on, uh, Apologia Radio for a number of years and, uh, partnering with Jeff Durbin and, uh, and doing the End Abortion Now campaign. Well, one of the things that kind of put Marcus Pittman on the map, and certainly the first thing that I saw of Marcus Pittman, um, was his documentary, uh, Babies Are Murdered Here. And if you haven't seen that, you should see it. You can go to babiesaremurderedhere.com and you can actually see the video there for free. Uh, well, he's working on a follow-up. And so we want to talk to Marcus Pittman about how that's going. We're going to talk about end abortion now. And uh, we're going to talk about all that he's doing. And uh, and I really uh, have a lot of uh, admiration for uh, Marcus, not just in the area of just um, Christian art. I think he's he's doing a great job of kind of pushing uh, the post-mill view on uh art and culture making um, but specifically for his passion for this area of abortion um, we so we want to talk to him uh, we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back with uh, with our guest Marcus Pittman hey it's Dave the Rebel Alliance media tech guy here have you got something you want to tell rebel listeners about now your commercial can be heard right here 
the Rebel Podcast gets 10 to 15,000 hits each episode. Great weekly exposure for your business. For more information, visit rebelalliancemedia.com or email the Rebels at info at rebelalliancemedia.com. Thank you. Have you checked out the new Rebel Alliance Media website? rebelalliancemedia.com. It's expanded with more resources, blogs, and podcasts. Catch Grant and Erica Van Brimmer's Awakening Reformation podcast on Tuesdays, their Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids podcast on Mondays, and the Rebel podcast each Wednesday. Don't forget to watch the Rebels video every Friday. Read engaging weekly blog posts on theology and Christian living by Ben Emery and the Van Brimmers. Study eschatology with Pastor Nate's Eschatology 101 video series and find more resources for Bible study and worldview matters. You can help Rebel Alliance Media expand even more with your financial donation. A one-time or monthly gift would be a great help and much appreciated. Click the Donate button at the top of each page. Thank you for following and supporting RebelAllianceMedia.com. Well, we are super excited to have um, Marcus Pittman on from the Law and Profits podcast. Uh, you'll probably also know him from his previous work at Apologia Studios and uh, the documentary Babies Are Murdered here. Uh, Marcus, it's awesome to have you on the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. I, I was just saying before we uh, before we started recording here that uh, I just wanted to thank you. I mean, you got you have done so much work uh, kind of behind the scenes. A lot of times when people think about the impact um, that pastors and uh, and, you know, videos and stuff like that have had on them, sometimes um, the the credit isn't given to the guy behind the camera. So I just want to say thanks so much. I think in particular, um, you know, the Kingdom of God uh, documentary or movie that you shot with uh, Jeff Durbin and Joe Boot for Apologia Studios and uh, and your work with uh, Babies Are Murdered Here and stuff have just had a tremendous impact on my life, my ministry. So I just wanted to say thanks. You have done so much good work that I've appreciated over the years. So it's great to finally be able to talk to you. Yeah, actually, I didn't shoot the Kingdom of God movie. I was, I think, I was in it, but I, I didn't. That wasn't my thing. Oh, okay. I so. definitely remember. Well, I, I remember you in it. I remember you and you and Jeff sitting in the de- desert on chairs, uh, having a conversation. That, so that is true. I was definitely in it. Okay, so right on. I'll, I'll take that credit. Okay. Well, um, well, thanks so much for everything that you're doing, anyway. And uh, and uh, we we wanted to talk uh, about a couple things. So first of all, why don't we start with Law and Profits? That's kind of how I introduced you. So currently, you are the host of the podcast Law and Profit. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about that? Law and Profits was started really because of during my time at Apologia, I would watch like a lot of clips of stuff in the news that would just drive me crazy. But Apologia wasn't really the place to talk about it because it was more like apologetics and expository stuff. So it just didn't fit into the bucket so much every now and then there were things that did but just with the, there's so much content political content and stuff all the time and i just got frustrated because i didn't feel like there was anybody like really breaking this stuff down in in the way like a christian libertarian should and so like even like the failures of mm-hmm. the republicans in terms of how they're being liberal like there's nobody really do i don't even think on secular radio you have voices that are speaking out against like 
oh, the conservatives are wanting to do like, for example, like healthcare, for example, conservatives are all like, well, we want to, uh, you know, uh, yeah. repeal Obamacare, but replace it with something else. And it's like, no, you don't replace it with something else. You just, you just, you just get rid of it and let, <laughs> let the, the markets do, um, what, what they should. And I think there's also, uh, a unique, uh, ab- ability to be able to speak in terms of like the roles of like church, family, and state and how, um, our, our state wants to be involved in all three areas. And so how like the state is, that's how, you know, an institution has become God, because they take over all the areas. So like the Vatican takes over the state church takes over the state or in, or, um, in America, the, the, the state takes over the family in terms of education. And then it takes over the church in terms of defining what marriage is and stuff like that. So, so that's how, you know, and so like being able to like compartmentalize those three covenant structures that God, uh, instituted like church, state and family, and then being able to show how certain like uh, uh, political processes or political positions violate those covenantal structures. And nobody's talking about that. So I thought it was a unique opportunity. You're absolutely right. And I think that, um, you know, because I've been listening to the Cross Politic guys and Apologia Radio and Apologia Studios before that, you know, my thinking has been changed on a lot, a lot of this. But uh, one of the things I see is I look out at the the kind of Christian cultural landscape and you look at like the Gospel Coalition and Together for the Gospel and a lot of really kind of faithful Bible teachers. One of the things that one of the areas where we're seeing that there isn't a whole lot of faithfulness is the the area of applying all of God's word to all of life. And so you have a whole lot of Bible teachers who aren't applying the Bible in the public square. And one of the things that I found so refreshing about law and profits is that, or, or or they're doing it liberally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're they're, or they're wrongly. They're, or yeah, and 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 kind of taking. Their I think cues. that's a lot of the problem. Yeah, the problem. A lot of the problem right now is that they are applying the Bible just very very poorly mm. and with a liberal bias. Yeah. So and and even I mean we're even looking at at uh, guys that you know I could credit for a lot of great things like a Tim Keller for example who now is is kind of taking his cues from the world in terms of what Bible verses am, am I allowed to use as I speak into the culture? What issues am I allowed to speak into the culture? And he's taking those cues from the world instead of from the Word of God. Yeah. <laughs> I, there's a problem here in that in, in, in that these guys... Well, well, let's go back. So before you had what's happening now, you had dispensationalism. And dispensationalism pretty much just said escape, yep. right? Like, so they're, they're just church should be the church and the government should be the government. Yeah. And the church should not speak to the government on matters of justice. We should just preach the gospel. And so what happened was it created this like vacuum where a lot of people, especially in the reformed community uh, in the hip hop community, once, um, once you had Christian hip hop really take off and people were becoming reformed and coming onto the doctrines of grace, they're looking at these injustices in their community and they're like, doesn't the Bible speak to these things? And, and, and there's no one to, you know, that's really speaking on it. Um, other than maybe you guys apology and cross politic, that's pretty much it. And before us, um, you know, when at the height of Christian hip hop, 
there right. wasn't anybody unless you happen to stumble across, you know, a Greg Bonson book or, or a Rush Journey book. And so uh, that's not going to be the top of the search results at all. And, and, and so, so what happened was you had people that in, with good intention were like, hey, no, 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 the Bible definitely speaks to issues of justice. And the response was, well, it, it's probably not, you know, look at the crazy things the conservatives are doing to harm the black community. And so the response was just, well, the liberal position must be right. And then they took the liberal political positions and they crammed that into scripture somewhere without really understanding, you know, the context or or the basics of, of how that went about. And so it's created... It's created this dichotomy because on one hand, you have people like John MacArthur, who, you know, on Ben Shapiro's show is separating um, justice from the preaching of the gospel as if there are two things completely. And and then you have, uh, you know, the liberals like Tim Keller and those guys who are espousing socialism, but they won't call themselves a socialist. uh, But they are. I, I mean, everything they they talk about or speak on is absolutely socialist whether they call it themselves that or not it doesn't matter and so like those are the two extremes you have right now and the only people who are who are bringing sanity to this discussion are these crazy theonomists in idaho and phoenix <laughs> and i don't know where you are wherever you are canada maybe and <laughs> ontario yeah i could tell because you said a boot but but uh Ontario, yeah, yeah so you know so you have you know Joe Boot and those guys <laughs> and, and you guys and then you have Apologia and then you have yep. Idaho um Moscow so then that's really it like that's 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 really it and 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 um we talk to each other so we'll we'll talk to you know, we'll have cross-politic guys on our show. Our guys will go on their show and vice versa. And same with you guys. We've had Joe Boot and they've had Joe Boot. And so, so there is, there is this like, you know, merger there. And, but, but when it gets to these, these, the top level guys, like the gospel coalition or, 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 or uh, the master seminary, uh, or grace to you, when you get to those organizations, nobody wants to talk to each other. And those guys aren't going to step down to talk to us because um, mm. we're just like the crazy oddball on the side, even though like I don't know any organization. It's it's not the Gospel Coalition. It's not, um, you know, even even Linganeer, uh, you know, it's 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 none of these guys. Um, uh, <laughs> but but we're the only ones that can look to like an issue like for example, I saw a video uh, just this week of it was like from Live PD on A and E, and this police officer pulled over a black guy walking down the street with a rifle case, and I was like, "Why in the world did the police officer have suspicion? Because the guy was walking down the street with a rifle case. This is America. We have a Second Amendment. Everybody should be walking down the street with a rifle case." And, and, and so, and so, I don't, yep. you know, so. So there's the, there's theological positions that can justify whether or not that police officer is being unjust or not, and um, and and you know the the liberal side like the Gospel Coalition would just say, well, this is just you know white privilege. A white man wouldn't have been stopped by a police officer or whatever. But uh, and then you have you know like the other side, the grace to you side, which would probably just be like, oh, you know, just preach the gospel to that guy. 
<laughs> and so, and, and, and so, so like those are the two sides. And then, you know, we're in the middle saying, right. no, 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 <laughs> that wasn't just, and here's scripture that shows why it's unjust. And here's a just biblical solution from scripture. And, you know, and then, but we're, we're the crazy ones. So you said a ton in there that I think is so interesting. So you started with, with, uh, dispensationalism and i'm i completely agree with you that dispensationalism kind of started um a a very escapist mindset that has a whole lot of christians you know praying that they get taken out of this world contrary to what jesus prayed for them in john 17 when he prayed i do not pray that you take them out of this world and and dispensationalism i think loses the whole biblical picture of God's ultimate plan for this world being one of redemption, renewal, recreation, and um, and and the fact that you know all of these enemies, whether it's injustice and abstract ideas or very evil institutions like abortion, which we'll talk about in a bit, or um, or enemies of God because the rebels of God and their hearts haven't been converted yet. You know, we've lost the biblical picture that God is going to take all these things and through the church, put them underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. So we've lost the the big story because of the rise of dispensationalism. And then what would you say would be, so we, we just named a whole lot of guys. I mean, that, that kind of covers the John MacArthur camps, those people who are dispensational and, and therefore lack a, a an eschatological view of how God's going to redeem the culture. But w- what would you say for all of the non-dispensationals who are just kind of lost in liberalism, what what key theological premise or what what have they lost biblically that's made them incapable of um, using the Bible to um, bring about or, or to talk about biblical justice as opposed to social justice? Yeah, so they've lost the understanding of God's law and how it applies in society. So a lot of this is coming from people, especially in the gospel coalition camp who, uh, either are either a new covenant or two kingdom, at least to some degree. So, so that's the the main theological position is like this two kingdom position that, well, you're a citizen of heaven and you're a citizen of earth. And, And so really what it is, it's like a reformed attempt to still be dispensational but not, but, but, but not have the dispensational hermeneutic. So practical, uh, practical, um, dispensationalism with some sort of theological ambiguity to their eschatology. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So whereas like me, me being post mill, I, I look, I can look at some, some, you know, the Psalms and see how David is talking about yep. how great God's law is and, and all this stuff. And I go, well, well, obviously, you know, it's, it still must be a great law <laughs> yeah, and because yeah. God is restoring the earth in such a way that all people will eventually come under the authority of that law. Yeah, and, and so just like, it's all about like the categories. And, 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 and so, so when, when you have like, you know, like the new, new king, the, 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 was it the new covenant stuff? which is really abhorrent, which just says, well, just look at the New Testament and um, ignore the Old Testament, which is, which is borderline heresy. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. border. It's, it's very, very close. And, and I think they've come to that line as much as they can without like 
crossing over it, but you know, give it about five more years and people just, I mean, well, I mean, I mean, you already have people like uh Stephen Furtick that's jumped that line or yeah, Andy or Stanley. Andy Stanley. Yeah. 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 Yep. So, so I mean, you know, they, they can try to like defend that and they can say, well, 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 we don't believe that, but practically they do. Yeah. You know, practically they do. When we, when you talk about, yeah, okay, well, what is the just biblical punishment for someone who commits adultery? And they're like, well, you know, you, you know, just, you know, if you're without sin. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just figure it. Oh, that's not the question. Like nobody's arguing whether or not we should forgive adulterers. Like, obviously right. we should forgive adulterers, but should adultery be a criminal punishment? Should that be a crime? And if it is a crime, what is a just punishment? And, uh, you know, another example would be, well, just in terms of stealing something, what's a just punishment for stealing something? And I know we should forgive a thief, but there also has to be a just punishment that the state, because the state is required to bear the sword. According to Romans 13, it says they're to bring terror Mm -hmm. on those who do evil. So we have to know what is terror, what's a just punishment, godly form of terror and what is evil. And you can't, you can't pull that information from the new Testament any more than I can learn how to write worship songs without going to the the Psalms. Right. So, (laughs) so, you know, like there's different parts of the Bible for different things. And the first five books of the Bible are absolutely for the government and for, for the leaders and civil magistrates to learn how to roll by. So it's it's pretty simple. It's not as complex as 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 people think. Nobody nobody on our camp is saying that the law saves you, um, or right. that the law, um, if following the law will will justify you. Nobody nobody's saying that at all. All we're saying is that hey, you know, the Bible says in Deuteronomy that what nation on the earth has laws as righteous as the ones I set before you today. Uh, He's telling the Gentile nations, the unbelieving nations, that this law is better. Right. That's right. <laughs> and if it, and if and, and he doesn't just say better, he just he says it's righteous. And so to say that the Old Testament laws are no longer righteous laws means ultimately that God's standard of righteousness has changed and what is righteous has changed and God's righteousness is not immutable. And if that's the case, then a million years from now, the atonement might not be enough. And and, and, and so, so it's either always a righteous law or it's not. And and I I don't want to worship a God that standard of righteousness changes uh, in different dispensations or, or whatever you call it. So, well, and I think, you know, it's a failure to see, I think at, at kind of at, at its roots, it's a failure to see that the law of God is a reflection of his character, right? And if it's a reflection of his character, then it's yes. always going to be good. It's, it's not like God arbitrarily right. decided, you know, by flipping coins or, you know, by, by figuring out what would, you know, make Israel run most efficiently, um, it's, you know, God's law works because he's perfect, but he, he wasn't making these laws abstractly or, uh, pragmatically. He was, he, you know, the law reflects his character. And so to say, right, to say that he, um, would in any way, um, change his law is to essentially say that he's changing his character. Like you said, his, his, his standard of righteousness, which is himself. Right. And it means... 
that uh, your atonement is not secure. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but, because so, this, because righteousness was declared on the cross, right? It's forever, and it has That's to be right. forever. So, That's so, right. and the reason we know that righteousness was declared on the cross was because Jesus kept the entire law, and Amen. he kept that law. And and the only reason that uh, the imputation can even happen on the as a result of the cross is because the law was kept. And so so because of that, this it's it's really it's really it's really basic. And and the problem is just that people don't like they don't break it down like this. But when we receive. Uh, we receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means that God looks at, at us a million years from now as somebody who has kept God's law. Right. So it's not that God has abandoned the law at all. That's impossible. Because if God's abandoned the law, then our righteousness doesn't matter. I mean, that righteousness doesn't matter. It's the righteousness that Jesus keeping the law applied to us, which and that's going to last forever, which means God's law is going to last forever too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So my question then would be, why is it, do you think, that Christians are so quick to pull out, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Which, you know, they're, they're quick to quote Jesus, um, you know, talking about, you know, love God, love neighbor, these, you know, these two things. Um, and I think Joel McDermott does a good job at, at kind of talking about in his book, Bounds of Love, how... Um, uh, love is the fulfillment of the law, right? The, what does what does love look like? Love looks like keeping the law of God. Um, but why is it that we're so quick to take certain things in God's law and 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 yet disregard so many of the civil things? Like I, I heard one of your episodes on law and prophets. I think it was called you know why Nehemiah hates property taxes, and yes. and it and it kind of it convicted me as a <laughs> as a pastor because. You know, here I am, you know, and, and I, I need to teach. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be accountable to God for teaching the whole counsel of God to my people. And, and yet here I am, and I, I've never talked about property taxes. I even preached, you know, expositionally through Nehemiah, and I never focused on the property taxes. And here he is pulling people's beards out because, <laughs> because of property taxes. It's very so clear, too. It's obviously important to God. Yeah, and it is very clear. Like so it's, it's, not, it's not skirting the issue. No, not not at all. I mean, you know, Nehemiah is is yanking people's beards out because of property taxes, and here we are in in a system where property taxes just assumed like that seems like the least of our problems. Why is it that we're so quick to um, accept certain things in, in God's law and and just kind of toss out all of the civil stuff? Is it is it just because of bad dispensational theology that's so deeply ingrained in North American Christianity? Yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> it's hard to I, I, yeah I mean because what you're, you're what you're asking is how is it that the founding fathers of uh, at least in America so the founding fathers of America had a very solid understanding of how the law of God applied um, to scripture and then after the Civil War um, that was sort of all lost and 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 right. and a lot of that is because after the Civil War is when dispensationalism began to rise, and so yeah, we that's have the Schofield Bible and all that, right? Yep, yeah, right so around the same late, time, late eighteen hundreds. So, yeah. so you we have over a hundred years where it's 
been forgotten. And, and you see this, and I think it's, it might be in the book, book of Judges, right? Where the people of Israel forgot God's law. And then, you, you know what I mean? They would just go several generations and just forget yep. God's law. And then a prophet would come back and they would remind the people of God, of God's law. So it's not, it's not out of the ordinary that this has happened. It's happened throughout all of church history. Uh, and, and, and so we, we, we had a really good time. It was a really good run. If you think about, <laughs> if you think about it, you, you know, you, you had essentially from the reformation to the late 1800s of people right. just embracing God's law and we're still living off of that now. I mean, just the fact I mean, just the fact that we're able to communicate instantaneously across the country is is a, is is a blessing of the, that four hundred year period that we had, yeah. and and uh, <laughs> and and but but the good news is that God isn't going to let us forget His law forever. We're obviously in a time where people are, and I think what we're seeing now, especially with with, with you know the Gospel Coalition. And, uh, you know, grace to you and all those guys fighting each other over this issue and completely missing it. People are looking and they're going, well, they're not right. And those guys aren't right. What's the right answer? And they're finding us. And, and so, so it is creating a conversation on the use of God's law today. I mean, even if you listen to John MacArthur's talk with Ben Shapiro, he wasn't able to get around it like he normally is. No, you know, even yeah. the, even their statement on social justice was pretty good. And, it was, uh, yeah. I, yeah, and 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 so, so one side is going to break, and I think it'll probably be that side. So you know, I'm happy they're having, you know, these conversations, and I'm happy MacArthur is on Shapiro to talk about it, and you know, even on all the things I disagree with him on, it's at least getting the conversation started um, in a way that MacArthur has not done before. And right. so, so it is good, man. It's, it's yeah. good. And just think about what Reformation 2.0 will give us in terms of technology and health and advancements. You know, when we have God's law all over the world for 400 years and we have the internet too. So well, like, yeah, it'll be amazing. It- Absolutely. And I think, you know, I, I, I say this often that, you know, we are currently our Christian generation who, you know, has abdicated our role to speak prophetically into the public square and has not applied the whole the whole Bible to all of life. You know, thank God that we have Christian forebears who didn't believe that because we're still, you know, as you said, we're still living off the fruit of their labor. And that's, that's running out. I mean, when we see, you know, the, the liberalism in our, our countries and, um, you know, the LGBT agenda and all this, all this stuff that we seem to be battling against, um, you know, the, the, the truth is the dispensationals and the antinomians have, they don't have an argument. They don't have a hermeneutic that can combat the rise of liberalism because they, they, they have a hermeneutic that does not allow them to preach prophetically into the public square. Right, because the, the, the one thing about liberalism is how incredibly religious it is. Absolutely. And, and so the only way to fight false religion is with true religion. Now, now you can say, well, just preach the gospel, just preach, you know, death and resurrection. But the problem is you have to preach the ascension to really combat liberalism. 
You have to preach mm-hmm. that Christ is the king and not the state. And and so when you have, you know, when you have Christians, godly, godly people, like, you know, Tim Keller and those guys, when you have them saying things like, well, we need to give our money to the state so that the state can partake in mercy ministry. That's ridiculous. And and so the right. only the only way to combat that is to go, no, according to God's law, the state is not an agent of mercy. It's an agent of justice. And you're trying right. to give the state the power of the church. And um that's you know you so I mean you're immediately in a theological conversation right away when you discuss liberalism. So it's really it's going to there's dispensationalism will not win a fight against liberalism. It just won't happen. And and they I mean, you know, that's not a surprise to them, right? <laughs> So yeah, I mean, right. they, 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 they know they're not <laughs> going to win. That's part so, of their theology. You're yeah. Right. yeah. That, that so, provides them great hope. Yeah. Right. So, so they're, they're yeah. not even really like, you, you know, they're, they're kind of just like, they, 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 they know they're going to lose. Right. But they're still playing the game. And, right. and, and so, whereas we're, we're like, yeah, well, you know, it's bottom of the ninth and we're down by six runs, but you know, all that is, is like two grand slams. Yeah. That's right. So, so, so that's like, the, that, that's the difference. And you, you know, the, the, that's, that's going to make an impact in how you play. So, so this transitions into two, two parts that I, I kind of, I, I want to be respectful of your time, but I, I wanted to talk to you about two spe- specific things. So I have a segue, but I'm going to get there in a second, because first I want you to give, um, you know, for all of our, one of the things that we really challenge a lot of our listeners on is engaging people on social media. Like we, I, I wholeheartedly believe that, um, you know, just like whether it was the, the well or in, in Calvin's Geneva, um, you know, the pastors in the public square, that the place where people exchange ideas nowadays is on social media. And so Christians have, I think, an obligation to engage on social media and to um, preach the, the, the word of God on social media. So we really encourage our listeners to engage online. And part of the reason, you know, Rebel Alliance Media exists is to help equip Christians to engage culture uh, with a biblical worldview. So, so give our listeners kind of a, a quick, because the number one thing that Christians, it's funny when you start talking about this stuff online, it, it's funny that you get more pushback from Christians than you do from non-Christians because Christians understand or non-Christians understand that everybody has an agenda, but you know, Christians are the ones who will very quickly come back and, and fight you on, well, we're, we're under grace. We're not under law. So give, give our, our listeners a really quick kind of apologetic when they encounter Christians who would say to them, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, you know, dietary laws, you know, mixed fabrics. We don't follow any of that stuff. Why are you suddenly talking about, you know, um, justice and um, biblical civil law? Um, why, why are you doing that when we're under grace, we're not under law? Give our, give our people just a few quick tools or a qu- few quick things that they can respond with as an apologetic to uh, the antinomian Christian uh, argument. Yeah, well, well, we, we are under grace. Um, obviously, that's how we're getting to heaven. But, but yeah. being, being under grace doesn't mean you don't follow God's law. 
And so, like you said, the question comes up about the dietary laws or the, the clothing laws or those things. Well, the, the Bible Paul, the Bible's pretty clear in that it says uh, the law expressed in ordinances were, were abolished, right? And so, you know, I'm Presbyterian. Uh, I assume you are too. So, so is that true? Uh, okay. Well, no, never mind. Yeah. No, 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 pre- <laughs> it, no. It's cool. My my church is a uh, I, I pastor in a uh, a credo Baptist denomination, but most most of my denomination don't listen to me, so that's okay. okay. Yeah, we're, okay. we're 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 brothers here. Okay. I'm a yeah. covenant theologian. We'll yeah. Say no that. big deal. So, um, well, so when you look at the sacraments, uh, there's a difference in whether or not they're sacraments or they're ordinances. Yeah. If they're ordinances, essentially ordinance just means that they're symbols or signs. That's yeah. all they are. And so, so when, when, when the laws abolished and those laws specifically that were expressed in ordinances, uh, those are laws that are pointing to Jesus. So, so like, for example, like dietary laws or, or, uh, 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 the priestly laws, uh, specifically, let's look at the priestly laws. The, mm-hmm. the, the, those laws uh, in the Old Testament were abolished, but they were shadows of the actual law. So, so when the Bible says that the law has, will not be abolished in Matthew 5, God's law will not be abolished. Every jot, n- not, uh, every jot and every tittle will, will remain until heaven and earth pass away. When it mm-hmm. says that, what it's saying is that all the priestly laws, those are still like those are still valid, but the only difference now is that they're not they're not valid in their shadows. They're valid in the complete fulfillment in Jesus. And the reason I know that the priestly laws are still in effect is because if you stand before God without the blood atonement, you're right. gonna go to hell. That's right. So, so those laws are still in effect. They're just not in the in effect in the same way um, as they were in Israel. But neither are the civil laws. The civil laws are in effect, in effect in the same way they were in Israel. We look at the general equity of those laws when we apply God's law. So, That's so, 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 it's it's about the 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 true heart and true core of the law that is is still is still valid today. So I, if, if, you, if someone comes up to me and says they're under grace and not law, and then I, I always ask, then, then what happens to an unbeliever who uh, stands before God uh, and goes to hell? What law uh, is being violated, mm-hmm. is being um, upheld there so that he is sent to hell? Because that's a law. Right, and you That's go right. well. It's 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 all the atonement and blood laws that you know are there. <laughs> all the sacrifice laws, all those things. Like they all. That's why they go to hell because they don't have the blood sacrifice. That's still in effect. <laughs> so that's right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's that's, just not that's, bulls that's and awesome. goats. Yeah. Yeah, and it's um. It you know it's it's so interesting that. Um, you know, people, Christians, I think are so quick to throw up that, well, I'm not under law, I'm under grace. Um, and, and, and yet if you examine their hermeneutic and you start asking them questions, what you discover is their, their hermeneutic is basically, well, I follow the laws I like, and I don't follow the laws I don't like, right? Like there's no actual hard work done to discover why they, 
uh, still think they should love their neighbor, and yet they don't believe um, what God's law says about um, you know the the restrictions of of government or um, various sphere sovereignty. So it's just interesting that there's always there's always a hermeneutic at play, and if you examine it closely enough, most antinomians essentially their hermeneutic is well, you know, I I follow what I what I think I should, and I don't follow what I don't like. <laughs> and right. It just comes down to how they feel. Yeah, that that's exactly it. And, and I think a lot of the problem is that we look at scripture linearly, like like yep. beginning to end, but God is outside hmm. of time throughout this whole thing. And, you know, the reason that the Jews who died in the Old Testament went to heaven was not because of their law keeping. It was because of Jesus that happened right. in the future. And, and so th- there's not like a time in scripture, like scripture doesn't work linearly. Cause, I mean, I mean, Paul says it when he says that there was uh there was a covenant the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world, right? So there was a right. covenant between the Trinity to, to make these things happen. And, 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 and it happened as a result of their agreement with each other before anything happened. <laughs> so, That's right. so it's, it is, it is a, a like a, a, a time travel. <laughs> it is a time travel dilemma, but it, 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 for God, who's outside of time, it's not a problem at all. Have you ever heard of uh, Arthur Custance? No. There's a there's a an author. Uh, so anybody listening right now, I'll put the show this book in the show notes. There's a there's a book by Arthur Custance, um, who is a uh, a science professor who got uh, converted and became a pastor, much like Martin Lloyd Jones from medicine into uh, theology. Uh, he went from the classroom into theology, and uh, he wrote a book called The Journey Outside of Time. And he kind of talks about the first half of the book is kind of a breakdown of Einstein's theory of relativity. And then the second half of the book, he applies all the passages of scripture that seem to suggest God being outside of time. And he brings these th- two things together to kind of talk about all of the passages where God is applying things past, present, and future simultaneously. It's a really, really interesting book. I think you'd love it. It, it kind of ties into what you just said. Okay, I want to segue um, because one of the things I want to talk to you about, and you, you kind of said it before, you said, um, you know, imagine the Reformation 2.0. And what's interesting is I think in the, in the first Reformation, um, there was a reclamation, I think, of the gospel and I think, based on what you said, you might agree with this, that I think the, the, the sort of next reformation that we see will be an eschatological and a return to not just the gospel, but God's law and God's law as it applies to all areas of life. Would you agree with that? I, I think so. We can't predict the future. Yeah, um, of course. Who knows, who knows what will come up? But it seems like if I were to look around at the world right now, I would say that there's not a shortage of preaching the gospel. Um, right. There's there's a shortage of application of God's law, and so yeah. So Reformation 2.0 will be that, and that'll be amazing. <laughs> I, I think when that happens, it, it'll be incredible. Because if you look at the Bible, right, and you look at a, uh, I think it's maybe Deuteronomy 28. I, I'm not exactly. I think it's Deuteronomy 28 where it's talking about the curses that come upon a land who reject God's law. Right. So, yep. so there's, there's death and disease and famine and, 
and a shortage of food and no money and no wealth and no prosperity and everything you do fails. And so, so, so you see that, but, but in the nations that, that do retain God's law, you have, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll use, I'll use the taglines there, but you do have health, wealth and prosperity and you have, you have, uh, <laughs> you have, uh, a, 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 a rifle view of that, by the way, not, not yes, a crazy charismatic yep. view. But no, I get yeah, it. so so you you have um, all these things. So like one of the curses of a nation that rejects God's law is tumors, and so you know you go, well, that's cancer, and America is just infested with cancer. Why why do we have so much yeah. cancer compared to other nations? Well, it's probably a rejection of God's law, and and yeah. and and so imagine for a moment. Okay, we have an understanding of the gospel, and Reformation two point is four hundred years of people just like returning to the proper application and love of the law of God. <clears throat> like the, the blessings that occur from that are going to be incredible because a lot of the infrastructure that the first reformation built has already been built. Right. That's so right. we already have yeah. the internet. We already have digital technology. We already have um, mass communication. We, we already have, you know, the ability to, um, you know, factory farm food in abundance, right? So we don't have the, the Reformation 2.0 isn't going to be us trying to figure out how to make books again, right? So, or, right. <laughs> which the first one was. The, yep. the, the second one is all going to be 400 years, if it lasts that long, 400 years of nations just prospering upon the prospering um, that the first Reformation brought. So I think. Um, I, I, I believe, I think you can look to the Tower of Babel. I, I did a whole talk on this, but I think you can look to the Tower of Babel and you can see that one of the curses that um, happens to a nation who rejects God's law is uh, a lack of technological advancement in, 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 term, in terms of like that. So if you look at, say, mm -hmm. the Tower of Babel, you know, you had everybody there and they had technology and they were building this, incredible tower, um, in spite of God and God, uh, they, God, God broke them up into different groups and he gave them different languages to stunt their technological advancement. And essentially from the tower of Babel on to the time of Christ, there's very little technological advancements. There's, there's some, they're mainly mm -hmm. in building, which they already had, right? So they already yep. had the knowledge of building. So, so may, most of the advancements from the Tower of Babel onto the time of Christ is all in, in building and architecture and stuff like that, which wasn't anything new. But then as af after Pentecost, you see all the nations are gathered together and they're given the ability to speak in different languages. So the curse is reversed and yep. because Amen. of the gospel. And then the immediate result of that from the time of Jesus to now is, is the invention of paper. Um, uh, they were, they were, they were writing on papyrus all the way from, from, you know, Genesis all the way to what Paul was writing on was papyrus. So there's no yeah. technological advancement in terms of writing communication. And then, so you get papyrus then you get the printing press and then you get uh, Morse code and then you get transatlantic cable and digital technology and wireless technology. And, you know, we're, here we are today. Right. And so, and so when our nation, when our nation begins to turn to God's law, I think our, 
technological advancements are going to be tremendously increased again. Um, I think God with, withholds that. And uh, David Chilton actually spoke about that when he talked about, you know, what should our attitude be towards third world countries? Um, and, and his position was that it doesn't matter how many homeless, uh, how many third world countries we provide food for or water or mosquito nets. It doesn't matter because God wants them to be in the condition they in because of the rejection of God's law. And so David Chilton says that God would rather them search every moment of the day trying to find a way to eat than to give them fast food restaurants um, so that they can spend their time uh, sinning. And, right. and, and, and so there's there. So imagine for a moment now you have a new reformation. Everybody, there's this giant revival that breaks out. Everybody starts reading Bonson and Rush Jr. or whatever, and they return to God's <laughs> law. And, and suddenly you have, amazing technological advancements. So I like one of the, one of the reasons technology is stunted now in America in terms of like science and development, especially in like the, the the health industry is because God's law isn't being followed. And therefore we have a state who regulates the healthcare industry. So, you know, I can't take, you know, um, experimental medicine, without the FDA and the FDA isn't going to let somebody make experimental medicine without millions of dollars in research. That's right. And, and you know what I mean? So hmm. a, a nation that comes under God's law is going to have all those restrictions in terms of healthcare and, and advancement lifted. And I, you're going to see those sort of, so God uses, God, God uses the, the, the tyranny of the state to suppress technology and advancement. And I think, and this is just complete theory here, but I think that once the world turns to, uh, the God's law in in the way that you described in such a way that there's worldwide revival, I think we're going to see science fiction level technology again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like just stuff that we can't even imagine. And, and it's all, it's all going to further the gospel even more. And, and, you know, and when I, when I say that, I, I like to go to the day before Samuel Morse invented the telegraph the day before the speed of communication was as fast as your horse. It's like, That's you right. know, one and a half <laughs> miles an hour. Right. And then, yeah. so it went from one and a half miles an hour to, traveling at the speed of light instantaneously. And, and there hasn't been, there hasn't been, um, a science, a, a scientific breakthrough, uh, like that from that moment, um, ever since there's been like, so if you, if you consider Morse code, digital technology, which I do, it's just dits and dots. Right. And yep. there's, there's yep. been advances of that from analog, versions to and now we have like digital and transistors and resistors like those sort of things but there's never been that sort of a jump um all at once um like that and i i I mean i just imagine i i I think you know you know i just imagine if there was a christian who this is just completely science fiction novel right here but imagine there was a christian who was a (laughs) physicist and he says huh 
the Trinity, it's three and one. How can I look at what scripture says about the Trinity and apply that to how like light travels is light, a plasma, a solid or a beam or whatever, you know, you know, like, is that, is light three and one? How is that like, and you just start basing your science on the character and nature of God. God might grant us the ability to teleport. You know what I mean? Like, so, right. so, so, <laughs> so it's like a completely different, like crazy thing to think about, but that's the sort of stuff that happens when Christians are really involved in the industry and starts basing everything on the character and nature of God. And God blesses that. God, I think God restrains invention and cures and stuff until the nations turn to him. And so it, it's exciting to think about, man. I, who knows? Who knows I'm, what? Absolutely. Well, and what's in, what's so interesting is that, I mean, if anybody's listening and kind of saying, okay, you started losing me when you started talking about Star Trek stuff. But I think in, in reality, like think about William Tyndale, like locked up in his tower, translating, you know, uh, all of these tombs. And, and imagine if somebody had have told him, you know, one day people are going to have the entire Bible in various translations available on this little electronic device that fits in their pocket. And and not only that, but that, that you know, you're also going to have all of John Calvin's commentaries attached to that digital version of the Bible. Like that would be unthinkable to him. And yet look what God granted in terms of technological advancement from the first reformation to, to now. And you, you think about Morse code, I think that was in the, the early 1800s, I think like 1830 something. Right. And, uh, and, you know, you you look at that and you think, okay, you know, what does it look like when all of the smartest people, right, all of the 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 doctors and the scientists and the inventors, if they have a, a, a robust understanding of God's law and they're approaching the world the way a Christian interprets the world, and that is God has made everything and therefore there's design in everything, and therefore, you know, everything makes sense and, and we we interact with the world as discoverers, not as gods who attach meaning to the things that we discover, but we, but we believe in a God who sits outside of the created order, who's attached meaning and, and embedded design in such a way that he created the world and said it's very good. I think I actually stole this from you where, where uh, you described it as God said it, it was very good, not very best. And so he, he calls us as created beings in his image to go and, and take the raw material of, of creation and do beautiful and, and wonderful things with it. And if we have all of the, the smartest people and all of the money and all of the funding and all the attention going to um, an interaction with discovery that, that assumes a, a, an intelligent designer, um, then, then imagine what's possible. It's just, it, it's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, because because we're just we're just stumbling on scientific inventions that yeah. declare there's a creator, but our science isn't like found like founded in that. So like right. I bring up Samuel Morse because he was a Christian. He was catechized early. He he was uh, he he. Uh, there's letters where his parents are quoting the Westminster, remember the confessions, remember the confessions. And so, you know, the, the, the reason Samuel Morse invented the telegraph was because he was out painting uh, out of town, because uh, that's what he was, he was a painter. And he was painting and he got a letter in the mail that said his wife had died and don't bother to return because uh, by the time you get there, 
she'll be buried in the ground already. And so the fact that communication was so slow bothered him. And he thought as a Christian, how can I make the world better by communicating quicker and faster? And the very first telegraph that was on record um, it was before the Supreme Court building in D.C. when he was uh, pitching it to Congress. Um, the very first telegraph was, what hath God wrought, right? And mm-hmm. so then you have um, uh, uh, Cyrus, Cyrus Fields, Cyrus Fields, and he was a Christian man, and he, you know, wasn't a preacher, but used his business skills to figure out a way to drop a telegraph cable all the way across the Atlantic. And the first transatlantic cable was talking about, uh, but it was between uh, the president and the, the King of England or the queen of England. And they were talking about the very first telegraph was how this can be used for the glory of God and the advancement of, of, of the gospel throughout the nations. And, and, and so <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And so, and it's the same technology we use to drop fiber optic lines across the water to be able to communicate. So, so, so we still use that same stuff today. And, and so I, I have no doubt that once our nation returns to God's law, Christians are going to make even greater advancements. And I think a lot of those will, will probably be in medicine and stuff like that. But who knows? I mean, it's hard, it's hard to think, okay, okay, God, what Christian are you going to raise up? That's going to make me think that the internet is an obsolete piece of junk. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what, yeah. what is the, what does that even look like? And so it's, yeah. it's cool. It's cool to think about. Like it's cool. For sure. like, it's just speculation so though. So we're going to, um, we're going to, uh, plug, uh, we're going to throw a link in the show notes that, uh, link to a bunch of talks that, uh, Marks has done. I think there's five talks that you've done, um, in the link that you sent me. So, um, so you'll, you'll be able to jump in and, and kind of hear some more of this from Marcus, but I want to be respectful of your time. And so I want to divert this because I think I, you know, one thing that we wanted to talk about and we've been talking for an hour and haven't talked about it yet, but, um, is, is kind of, if I look at kind of the way in which a nation is under the the judgment of God and the reasons for it and the way in which we've abandoned God's law and God's justice, there there can't be a greater miscarriage of justice uh, on display in the world right now than abortion. And um, and so you've done a lot of work. Uh, you did the the video Babies Are Murdered Here. And uh, you've been a, a catalyst along with Jeff Durbin in uh, the kind of end abortion now movement. And um, you are right now kind of um, in the middle of putting together a Babies Are Murdered Here 2. So I want to give you a, a few minutes to kind of talk about that. Um, so Babies Are Murdered Here, the very first documentary. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Uh, it was made in January or released rather in January of 2014. And um, what's so interesting, I think, about that video is um, that documentary kind of sparked a movement for all of the faithful Christians who have been doing abortion mill ministry and and doing um, some sort of um, gospel presentation, some sort of uh, protest outside of abortion clinics. 
um, began to use that phrase, babies are murdered here. Uh, and, it, you know, this actually sparked a rebuttal from Planned Parenthood to start an ad campaign. Um, you know, healthcare happens here. Right. Which is which is awesome. I mean, there are very when I think about the very few times we've kind of got the secular world on defense in the last few decades. That's one of them. And, and there haven't been many. So talk a little bit about uh, how the first one came about and what you're doing with the second one. Yeah. So the first one came about my friend, John Speed, who's helping me with the second one. Uh, he invited me to come to his church and do like a little promo video for his church plant that he had in Syracuse. And we get there and he realized that he got me the wrong plane ticket. So he put it at 8 a.m. on Sunday instead of 8 p.m. on Sunday. And so that meant I wasn't able to like film his church service. So he was like, well, we're going out to the abortion clinic. Why don't you just film us out there? And so we filmed out there and... Um, just this guy made this sign, Robert Gray made this sign, uh, called, and it just said babies are murdered here. And I was like, man, that is an amazing, so it was like, really, is this like really impactful? I, I think, I think like, you know, God just really moved me to see significance in that sign. Cause it was just, mm-hmm. he literally, I went with him to the dollar store and he got like a dollar piece of cardboard paper and then you know, a two pack of markers, red and black markers for a dollar. And then he just wrote babies are murdered here on it. And, and so I just filmed I made a documentary on that. I asked for money to make it. I only asked for, I asked for money to make it and I only got like five grand and I had no job or anything. So I would just take whatever money I got and I would, um, just buy an airplane ticket and go to see someone else that was, holding up these babies are murdered here signs. So, cause like I put out the trailer to raise money and the trailer alone went viral and people started making these signs that said babies are murdered here. It's the craziest thing. Cause there wasn't even, there was no movie. And so event, so essentially the movie became, um, a result of the movement that happened as a result of the trailer for the movie. <laughs> it's really confusing, but that's what happened. Yeah. And so if huh. you watch like any news report, over the past two years, probably. And they're talking about abortion clinics or protesters outside of abortion clinics. You'll see babies are murdered here signs or some references to them that are similar. But most importantly, and you know, I saw the sign and it, it didn't, it didn't occur to me. Like it didn't hit me. Somebody brought up the point where we were standing outside of an abortion clinic one day and there was a sign that said healthcare happens here. And the guy looks at me and he goes, do you think that signs a, a response to the babies are murdered here signs? And I was like, what in the world? What else could it be? That's right. <laughs> like what, <laughs> what else could it be? And so, yeah, we started noticing that all over the country, Planned Parenthood's had signs that said healthcare happens here as a, right. as a response to babies are murdered here. So, so that was, that was amazing. That little 5,000 document. And I'm sure I'm sure they had <laughs> a million right. dollar marketing agency w- like come up with that line for them. And, and it's just, you know, it's, it's amazing that it was, it was that these little signs were that impactful. And the reason is because those signs are very clearly a declaration of God's law, right? So they are not, um, they're not wavering in what's happening. Like the pro-life groups, 
don't want to use the word murder. That was a big part of the first movie was us discovering, well, wait a minute. Why don't these Catholic pro-life groups want to use the word murder? Oh, because they're Catholic. And if, if they use the word murder, they have to remove all these people from the church that have had abortions. And, 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 you know, the, the Catholic catechism gives an exemption to women who are victims. Right. So it's like, or, 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 or if if you're a victim, you're allowed to kill somebody and it not be considered murder. So that's why the pro-life community calls women who has abortions victims. Um, and 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 so that we found out that, that language of just using the word murder outside of an abortion clinic was incredibly offensive to the pro-life community. And so uh, Jeff Durbin saw the movie. He was one of the first people to see it before it was published. And he said that he cried in the car watching it. And he had um, everybody uh, everybody in the church watch it. He made, he made the whole church watch the movie. Um, mm. I think I remember some people actually left as a result of the movie and wow. didn't want to be a part of the church anymore. And then... As they started an abortion ministry shortly after that, or they, or they had one already, but I, I don't remember. But they they started the abortion ministry, that connected me with Jeff. That started in abortion now, and now within abortion now, there's 300 churches all over the country that are bringing uh, the gospel into the area of fighting abortion uh, rightly and using the right language. And so, I mean, that's huge. 300 churches huge um yeah and 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 they're completely um uh, autonomous ministries under the authority of that church right so it's not like apologia or end abortion now is at 300 churches the all we do is we we you say hey i have a church here's my pastor talk to my pastor we want to start an abortion ministry and once we talk to your pastor and see that it's something your pastor really wants to do, we send you everything you need, resources. You get a link. Uh, you get a, a login so you can watch training videos. Um, and then after that, like, we're done with you. I mean, I'm not, not like, not in that way. We're still there for encouragement <laughs> and support or whatever. But, like, we're not, like, yeah. we're not there. Like, that's not our thing, right? right. Like, that's, the, so, so and, and the reason I say this is because, the budget for end abortion now has only been about two to three hundred thousand dollars a year, right? That's that's it, and most of that money goes to like paying shipping costs to ship these signs out for free. So, <laughs> so for a thousand bucks, you get an entire you build. So, so every time somebody donates a thousand dollars, they're they they've built um, a a completely separate abortion clinic ministry under the authority of a local church. There's no better way to spend money in the abortion ministry fight than that. Cause one, not you're saving lives and you're having people out there preaching the gospel. So, and and I, I bring that into comparison because the executive expense budget of one of the largest pro-life ministries is, is five to $600,000 a year. Right. That's just for their salaries or their plane flights or whatever. I, I don't even, I don't think that's salaries. I think it's just whatever executive expenses are. And, and, and so, and you can, you can look that up on the IRS form online pretty easily. But so, so if you just think about like, wow, like for the, so for the past two years, $600,000 
has gotten 300 churches out every single day. There's a church, every single day there's a church at an abortion clinic that's saving lives and preaching the gospel and babies are saved all the time. We get reports all the time. And so, you know, dollar, you know, when you, when you're talking about investing in nonprofits, you want to look at like, what is the result? Like, what am I getting? Where's the money going? And you know, that that's where it's going. Like Jeff and Luke aren't getting a salary from an abortion now. Right. So, Yes. So, and the ones that are getting a salary aren't getting, they're not getting rich. And so this year what we're doing is we're saying, okay, well, let's continue the fight to get the churches out to do the abortion clinic ministry. But instead of just doing abortion clinic ministry, now we want to train the churches that are already involved in abortion clinic ministry to take that same approach and go to city councils go to legislators and fight and and get legislation passed that actually ends abortion, or at the very least puts pressure on um, these city councils. And so from a very local level. And, and so we just posted a video this week. I think it's up. It was uh, was, like yesterday it was up to like 25,000 views or something like that. And it was only up for a day, but it was, um, that was it, Jeff in front of the city council in Tempe. Uh, yes. Yeah. And so that Jeff, was awesome. Yeah. So actually, uh, five of us went um, to to the city. So so how Phoenix City Council works is that there's ten slots granted every meeting for people to talk about whatever they want, right? And so what we did was we took five people and took the first five slots. We just were the first in line. We got the first five slots and then each, it was Jeff, me, um, Zach, elder, Zach Morgan, elder Luke and, uh, Zach Conover who heads up in abortion now. And we, uh, we ordered our talk in a way that we would follow each other. So we got essentially 15 minutes as opposed to the three minutes they give you. And so, um, so there's four more talks that we're going to put up, but you can watch them if you search for the Phoenix city council, you can watch them now, but they'll probably be up by the time this podcast is. Um, but yeah, but so, so that's what we did. And, um, you know, when I was talking and this is, this is important. Uh, when I was talking, there was the vice mayor, Jim warring. And I noticed that every time like Jeff would say something about abortion, he would just roll his eyes and he would just make these faces. And, um, he, he can do that because the city council cameras from the city don't record the faces of the city council members when someone's talking, they only record the person mm. talking. And so I had cameras pointed at them cause I knew that they were doing this. And so, um, I had 20 seconds left and I looked at Jim Mooring and I said, uh, vice mayor, I want you to know that I see you making faces. Um, and I will use all the power of media I have to get you out of that seat. If you don't take us seriously. And, uh, and then, and he, and he made like this, like pucker up lips, like, and shrugged his shoulders. Like, you you know, you can, well, turns out Jim Waring, um, is technically, I guess by pro-life standards, pro-life. Right. And not only is he pro-life, he is an employee of the center for Arizona policy, which is Arizona's, um, pro-life lobbyist group, which is terrible by the way. And and, and so, 
So he's actually an employee, and that's how they pay politicians is they make them employees of the organization, even though they don't ever do anything. And so yeah. he has a pro-life voting record, and it's really terrible pro-life policies. And so babies, all that to say, babies are murdered here too. Yeah. The, fir- the first one, we got people out in front of the abortion clinic and changed the conversation that was happening at the abortion clinic. The second one is going to be all about the pro-life lobbies and how they are going to, um, how they actually harm ending abortion, the idea of ending abortion, how they, how they are actually an enemy to that. And, and so that's the one. So the first one changed the conversation. This one, we changed the legislation. That's the tagline. So that's awesome. So that, so that's the plan. And, and I know we've been talking a lot, but I, I just want to, I want to mention this cause, <laughs> cause, cause a lot of people out there might yeah, be like, do. a lot of people out there might be like, well, why, why, why are the pro-life lobbies bad? Like they're regulating abortion or whatever. Well, it goes back to like what we're, what we're talking about in terms of like, what is the role of the government? The role of government is to bring terror, right? But the pro-life, pro-life lobbyist groups, they pass laws that, uh, not only are they not Christian laws because they violate the role of government, but they're not even conservative laws. And so Mm. one example of that would be creating, uh, policies or regulations on a abortion clinic provider that makes an abortion clinic have to meet the re- minimum requirements of a hospital, right? Of, of a, you know, so uh, that's been like their real popular law they've been passing all over the country because it shuts down a lot of these old grimy places that's been up for 30 years. And so, so, um, but the problem with that is conservatives uh, don't want the government regulating healthcare, right? right? So, so, so they create these laws like that or an, an even bigger deal is that the pro-life lobbies will create law exemption laws that'll say um, abortion uh, is illegal except in, they'll say abortion is legal um, if, it's done prior to like 21 weeks or whatever, right? Or 23 weeks, right? Well, the problem with that law is if tomorrow Roe v. Wade were overturned by the Supreme Court and and the power was given back to the states, the pro-life groups have created laws that make abortion legal up to 23 weeks, right? Right. So, so they're... Yeah. So, so they're actually harming the cause. So now instead of you know, when Roe v. Wade is overturned, now you have to have all these city, city, all these states fighting laws, uh, against abortion, the pro-life lobbies have created. Um, and so, and it gets a lot worse than that. There's a lot worse stuff that they do. Um, and hopefully we'll, we'll get to expose some of that, but, um, they're anti-Christian, uh, they are Roman Catholic and uh, they they will speak openly and proudly about how they don't want the gospel or religion brought into the abortion argument because it'll turn right. people away. So all right. that's going to be there. And and uh, if you donate, um, inabortionnow.com slash donate. We're raising money for the second movie and in, in addition to uh, another year of running an abortion now. So 
Anyways, that's, that's that was awesome. a long and, time no, to and, talk and, and without thank, a question being asked, bro. <laughs> no, no, no. That was good <laughs> because um, you, you kind of anticipated all my questions anyway. So um, I don't want to give any any of the movie away. Uh, that's a great plug for it. And I think um, and I think that was in terms of in t- like as a Christian, I always would have said abortion is, is horrible. And um, and, you know, for me, what what really opened my eyes as I've been following, um, you know, babies are murdered here and and abortion now and, and all of the ministry that uh, you guys were doing at Apologia Studios. What what opened my eyes more than anything else was was just how uh, unproductive and in, in a lot of ways, how evil and sinister. And, and that's not speaking blanket about everybody, but in, in very general terms. Um, the pro-life movement has been and how much it's harmed the cause and how um, and and how much like so when you're talking about donating to end abortion now and and where your money is going I think that's one of the biggest things that I just never realized is that you know in the whole pro-life movement and the, the engine that's now running it there are a whole lot of people whose livelihood is dependent on this fight continuing for a long time and even on top of that, the, one of the biggest problems is a dispensational engaged in the abortion uh, art, uh, war never believes that they're going to win it. And so I think as, as post-millennial, post-millennial theonomic Christians, we have to be able to fight this battle as people who actually believe that abortion is one of the many enemies that will be put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. Yeah, the pro-life group... Um, the pro-life groups do not believe that's probably foundational. They do not believe that they can end abortion. If you ask them, yeah. they'll say, well, we just don't have the votes. Well, women got the right, right. to vote without ever voting. Right. So, <laughs> so, it's yeah. Like, so, so <laughs> yeah, so, so it's not about having the votes. It's about applying the pressure. And that is something they don't want to do because they are part of the political lobby machine. And so they have connections and stuff that they don't want to burn bridges with. And even though they might have to, if they really want to end abortion and, 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 and so, uh, I, we're, it's, we're going, we're going to see, um, over the next year, as I document this stuff, I, I, I really pray, um, one that we get the funding to make the movie, but two, that, God gives us like opportunities to really expose this stuff. Cause it's really secret. Um, yeah. um, but there, but there's some, there's some examples like out, out in the public. Um, that's, that's pretty, pretty obvious. Um, when you look at, so in Arizona, uh, there's a law that says abortion is illegal and it's very clearly, you know, any sort of causing a woman to be miscarried, is illegal. Now, when Roe v. Wade got overturned, um, and, and I don't have all the documentation for this, but this is, this is what we were told. And I'm looking into getting the, the documentation, but we were told that, that when Roe v. Wade was passed, the pro-life groups looked at that law that said abortion was illegal and they were fearful that it would go to the Supreme court. Um, and so what they did was they made that law with exemptions that said, well, it's not illegal if it's done by an abortion doctor or procured, procured through, you know, the medical, medical facility. And, <clears throat> and that way it could still be on the books and they wouldn't have to worry about, they have a, a giant fear of the Supreme court. 
And so, um, whereas we don't care, we just say, you know, well, we'll just ignore the Supreme Court like Colorado is doing with the federal government with marijuana or or sanctuary cities are doing with immigration, right? So, so, you know, and, and, and so they're actually passing laws that support abortion uh, out of their fear of the Supreme Court. And it's, it's wicked. It's just a wicked system. And um, it, it's just, you know, it's all about getting the seal of, the, seal of approval for Republican politicians to get the seal of approval to say they voted on pro-life legislation that they knew they would never pass or pro-life legislation that doesn't even matter so that they can say they're pro-life and endorsed by a national right to life or whatever the organization is. And so uh, that's got to be shut right. down, man. We just need Christians uh, yeah. who are just speaking very clearly to city council members and their local magistrates and telling them to shut it down or we're going to take you out. And it's pretty easy to do because you don't need a lot of votes to win a city council seat. You know, so not a lot of people right. vote for that. <laughs> so um, I think it'd yeah. be if churches started rising up and going to city councils, you would see all that happen. So. Thank you so much for your time. And this, I mean, this comes full circle. I, um, I feel like you and I could talk for hours, but this comes full circle to when we abandon God's law, there's no standard. And so there's no consistency. There's no righteousness apart from God's law. And that's exactly what, you know, you've just described in um, kind of the systemic injustice involved in the pro-life movement. And it goes way beyond that. But it all comes for full circle. It's all a return to God's law that's necessary and a revival that we ought to be praying for. Um, man, Marcus, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for being so generous with your time. I'm, I'm super pumped to have, uh, our people listen to this. So thanks so much. And, um, we're going to link all the stuff you talked about in the show notes. Uh, last word, where do you want people going? Uh, endabortionnow.com. Um, and that's the way that we can support, uh, babies are murdered here too. Yeah. Endabortionnow.com slash donate, or just go to endabortionnow.com. Um, and also I'm asking people if they have any connections or knowledge with the pro-life lobbyist groups or whatever, just to send me a message on Facebook and let me know, um, what any, cause I'm trying to learn as much as I can as I, over the next three months while we do pre-production on this thing and figure out what the story is going to be. So, all right. Well, thanks so much for being on. Uh, it was a pleasure. And uh, thanks for being so generous with your time. Uh, go listen to Law and Profits and, uh, and go donate to End Abortion Now. Thanks again, Marcus. Marcus.